Welcome back to the PeaceWorks podcast, everyone. At the time of this recording, we're preparing um, to be part of a conference in Raleigh, North Carolina, with our friends at Called to Peace Ministries. So for today's episode, I want to share with you the audio from a recent uh, conversation I had with Called to Peace's founder, Joy Forrest, as we talk about the upcoming conference, as well as some dynamics of team building. So I hope you find this helpful. And if you're in the Raleigh area uh, in April, the beginning of April, I would love to see you at the Called to Peace event. Uh, You can find out more at their website. There'll be a special pastor's event on April 2nd, and then a full conference on April 3rd and 4th. So again, if you're in the Raleigh area, uh, we'd love to see you, uh, to visit with you, um, and then for you to participate in this upcoming uh, event. So please enjoy the podcast today. Thank you guys for everything, for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Joy Forrest. Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Hi, everybody. It's Joy Forrest with Call to Peace Ministries, and today I'm here with my friend Chris Moles. Should I say it's your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> At the time of this recording, it is my birthday, and to celebrate, I'm blending in with my wall behind me with my uh, West Virginia sweatshirt that matches the wall. So for some of you, I may just be a floating head. <laughs> oh, I don't know how to go from here. <laughs> And it is, as we're recording, the day of my birth. There you go. All right. So Chris um, is coming back to North Carolina to work with Call to Peace for our spring conference um, 2020. And But the day before our conference, we have a really exciting um, event just for pastors and church leaders on developing, or ministry leaders, on developing a... um, domestic violence policy and the building a domestic violence response team. So let's talk a little bit about that, Chris. Talk about why you think churches need to have a policy when it comes to domestic abuse. Yeah, so I think right off the bat, because a thoughtful response is superior. So having thought through the issue itself prepares you to handle situations better. Now, I've never seen a perfect intervention. I've been doing this work for a while. I've never seen a church, for instance, intervene perfectly. There's always hiccups and problems. But I will say those churches who've thoughtfully prepared uh, respond better than those who, who wait until a problem occurs. And so I think one thing that policy, procedures, and strategies do is it prepares you in such a way that you've at least thought about it, uh, discussed it, and so you're you're far more equipped in that regard. Much the same way that uh, churches are much more prepared to handle um, cases dealing with children because of the work, the great work that was done in the 90s. Uh, that now it, it would be 
astonishing even to find churches that that don't have nursery policies or uh, children's church policies, whereas in the 80s, 70s and 80s, it was very rare. And so I think in much the same way, if we're already interacting with people at the level of care, um, it's important to have these discussions with those who are providing the care. Yeah. And a couple of things that you said sparked um, thoughts in my head. Um, one is this how that, this works. <laughs> that's right. Um, one of the things is that um, there has been research that shows that when a victim of domestic abuse has an advocate, they are much less likely to become fatalities, right. much less likely to be, you know, become um, or to be killed. Um, as a result of domestic abuse. And so here's the thing that I've found is, uh, you know, after working with victims of abuse for a couple of decades now, um, that a lot of times, because there has been no physical violence yet, um, we see that churches will a lot of times come in and try to counsel the situation like it's a marital problem and it can really endanger victims more. So what you want to do is you want to have enough um, knowledge to be able to come in and help and not do more harm. And sadly, we find that, you know, people do perish for a lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 6 is so true when it comes to domestic abuse. So um, that's one thing that um, you need to be able to address in your policy, you know, Right. What does domestic abuse look like? Is it just physical injury or um, things like that? So we're going to talk about all of that when you come down in April. That will be April 2nd, which is a Thursday, and that's when we're going to have the uh, building a coordinated churchwide response to response. domestic abuse. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so I would say one thing that would, should precede policymaking is good information or good education. So I'll give you um, just a quick warning for those who are watching. I have seen some churches where ministries jump the gun by writing papers, like position papers, based upon you know one person's study or reading, or perhaps they read one book. And I think those usually are inferior and somewhat can be somewhat dangerous when compared to building policy procedures and strategy as a result of adequate training and education from a multidisciplinary approach. So actually learning or having people become experts in your team, within your team, I find those policies, procedures, and strategies much more effective in the long run than just one person tasked with reading a position paper, a journal article, or a book. Uh, that lack of experience and on the ground, kind of in the trenches work, gets exposed fairly quick in uh, reaction time. So I would recommend that prior to your policy and strategy building that you have a, a level of sufficient training education uh, from experts and plenty of discussion at the leadership level. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about this too um, <clears throat> during both the conference and this um, pastoral training day. Um, we really believe that having ad advocates who have been thoroughly trained can make a huge difference. I don't think that many pastors have enough time to give 100 hours to becoming trained as advocates. Right. And so um, actually Call to Peace has an advocacy program and what we're doing is trying to raise people up, but we work alongside because you and I both know we've been doing this for a long time both of us. And we both know that even well-intentioned help, people helpers can make things so much worse 
if, um, if they don't have the proper training and even experience because we know how it can go sideways easily. Absolutely. Um, um, I have had it, things not go well and, and I, even as an expert. So the more expertise you can bring in when it comes to something like this, um, the better your outcome is going to be. Well, sure. And I think those, those, for lack of a better word, those experts, those helpers who've been involved in this work for a long time also are accustomed to the disappointments and the struggles that go along with it, such as navigating the court system, which is something that I think uh, the church holds kind of naively as, the, as a superior response, as if the courts always do things right. But those of us in the work know that the courts are a very hazardous place for victims. There's so much uncertainty, so much lack of education. Uh, you really don't know. And so having somebody who's trained, that's just one example of the uncertainty of the courts. But we also know locally, I know who to talk to. I know where the advocate's office is. I know how to fill out a domestic violence protective order. I know where the magistrate's uh, office is like I know this about my town and my community, which uh, is um, an advantage for the church, uh, a help to the church, and so being able to know who to talk to, who to go to, but then also just as I said, being accustomed to the disappointments, and knowing that sometimes the choices in front of us are the devil you know and the devil you don't know, or just uh, what's the best of poor choices in front of me. Um, those are things that I think those of us in the work are a little bit more accustomed to and can really help the church understand that there's no, there might not be uh, rainbows and unicorns at the end of this journey, right? It might be the valley of the shadow of death type of thing. So how do we bring your expertise in the care and comfort of the scriptures and relationship with God and the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit and our expertise in navigating the system in the kingdom of the world, how do we bring those together to, to make the experience as helpful as possible uh, for the victim? Yeah. And so you and I, again, have both been doing this a long time. Um, what we normally see, what is the default that what churches run to when they don't have a plan? What do you see? Oh, it's marriage counseling. It's absolutely marriage focused solutions. We will, as people, do what we know. And churches know marriage. They, they really do. And so I think there are varying levels of this. And so I do think there are those, um, you know, on the internet and kind of out in the, the, you know, platform space who attack every church as if every church has these sinister motives. Some do. Some, some pastors operate um, out of wickedness. But the majority of what I see are operating out of ignorance and much of that has to do with, we know marriage, we know marriage counseling. This often presents as a marriage problem. And so in, in responding that way, the typical response burdens victims uh, and frees abusers. Uh, and really the opposite needs to be true. It's like the old adage, you know, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And so there's a real responsibility within the church to see that how lopsided this particular sin is, how desperate this sin is, and how it's one person using power over another. So that requires parallel tracks of care that hold the offender accountable. That's much more rigid, much more direct, much more plan intensive versus empowering and comforting the victim, which is much more non-directive, much more 
parakaleo type coming alongside type of ministry where the abuser confrontation is much more nutateo, you know, direct confrontation. So having those parallel tracks that are very much black and white, you know, um, is helpful. But most churches in the name of mutuality, fairness, compromise will unintentionally, I think, often burden the victim while lessening the weight of the abuser by mutualizing the problem or requiring her to carry a certain amount of weight while they require him to carry some weight. Yeah. And sadly, um, abusers love that kind of intervention, you know, <laughs> because then they can swing it around and, and put the focus on her very often. Mm -hmm. um, so and the second part of the, the main focus for that day for pastors is going to be how to build a response team for domestic abuse, because this is one issue that we know does not respond well to individual counseling. Uh, let's talk about what that would look like just a little bit. So responding to domestic abuse as opposed to the normal response, which is you go see a counselor, you go see a counselor, right? Or you see the same counselor. So I think a therapeutic response, which is culturally, uh, subculturally, I think both the world and the church see counseling as like this magic bullet. But in cases of domestic abuse, a therapeutic response is only part of our response. There are many components, and I think the church needs to come to grips with this, such as education. Uh, both on the advocacy side and the intervention side, we're educating clients or counselees or students, right? You as an advocate are educating the victim uh, on the dynamics and impact of abuse, and I'm often educating perpetrators with different goals in mind, right? So my goals are to then place them in the narrative, right? Educating them on the dynamics and impact to increase accountability. Where yours is, uh, I would assume, much more about increasing awareness uh, because many victims will not see themselves as victims, even in severe situations, such as the, the old line, well, he never hit me with a closed fist, right? Which lessens the impact of slapping and kicking and restraining. Uh, whereas a perpetrator too may be like, well, I, I would never do that. I would never hit a woman, but you've been coercively controlling for 20 years, right? So education's a big part of this. Accountability, at least on my side, is a huge condition. Uh, for perpetrators to experience consequences requires a level of accountability. And that may happen through the system if there is uh, a criminal or civil charge against them, but more than likely it's going to happen through friendships, family, and pastoral leadership. And that's why understanding church discipline uh, is a key part of this. I find so many churches um, read, hear the word church discipline and they, they think excommunication as opposed to the various aspects of church discipline, which is about accountability and repentance. And uh, so having those keys in place of education and accountability are important. And then I think hope is a big piece that the church can bring to the table. Not hope for marriage reconciliation, um, but hope for completion, for fulfillment, for seeing an end result, which is something that we now measure success by, which is not marriage reconciliation and not just repentance. It is a point of conclusion where we can actually offer the victim 
some, some sound results which say, you know, yeah, he's starting the process of repentance. Let's watch him. Let's hold him accountable. Let's see the fruits of repentance lived out over time. Or there's no sign. It's just obstinance and a rebellion, which I think can offer hope too. So uh, those three areas are something I think the church can provide in addition to the therapeutic, education, accountability, and hope. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, you're talking about not having uh, marriage as the goal for the process and people are going, but, but, you know, God hates divorce and we're going to even talk about all of that. Um, but we do know um, there is an awful lot about oppression and violence in scripture and God hates that. He talks an awful lot more about how much that is hated by God than right. even divorce, which was allowed because of the hardness of men's hearts. Mm -hmm. But again, we're not even here to, change your policy on divorce or and we don't even at our ministry tell people that they should get a divorce but what yeah. we want you to do is what jesus did and he always put people before institutions yeah. i actually and this is one area that i do get some criticism on as a pastor um i appreciate theological diversity i understand that scripture and theology can be difficult and that we will land at different places that within Orthodox Christianity, there are varying views on certain things. And one of the things that I hope to address in this uh, time with pastors is how some of us come into cases like this with theological blind spots and not changing your theology, not demanding that pastors alter their theology, but simply uh, asking each of, of, of each of us to recognize the blind spots whether we're Presbyterian, Pentecostal, or somewhere in between, there are assumptions and good things that we bring to each case that we may need to pull back and say, well, I'm also blind here, or I need awareness here. Again, like you, not changing anyone's theology, because I don't think we have the market cornered on that, mm -hmm. but uh, simply asking those questions of each other so that the whole church, all of us, can have healthy responses while staying true to what we believe about Jesus, his word, and, um, and the people in front of us. Amen. So on Thursday, this is Thursday, April the 2nd, we're going to be doing that workshop for pastors and ministry leaders um, on developing a church domestic violence policy and building a domestic violence team. Um, we, I'm going to give them the bullet points of what we'll cover. We'll have a, just a short overview of what domestic abuse looks like. But like Chris says, that's something that you would want to um, you know, pursue further and our conference will be a good place to do that. And then we'll talk about what the elements of a good DV policy are. What do you include in your policy? Um, we're going to give plenty of time for Q and a so that you guys can ask questions about, um, those elements and, and writing your own church policy. Then we'll talk about the elements of a good domestic violence response team and how to build one. Um, and then, um, we will actually even have a discussion on those theological concerns that you were just mentioning, Chris. Mm -hmm. So that's the, um, the, the workshop for pastors and church leaders, ministry yep. leaders. And then on um, April the 3rd and 4th, the Friday night and all day Saturday, we will have our 2020 conference called Wisdom Calls and um, Wise Responses to Domestic Abuse. And we're basing that on the book of Proverbs. Yep. So... Um, moving from foolish to wisdom to, to wise responses. Right. Um, and so we're, that's where we'll talk about the dynamics of domestic abuse, 
um, common mistakes and wise corrections from the book of Proverbs when it comes to domestic abuse. We will give you examples of bad counsel received and what we might want to do instead. Um, we'll talk about, again, theological landmines and wise conversations. We're even going to have a panel of folks who talk about um, mistakes uh, or common mistakes mm -hmm. um, th that they've made as uh, people helpers. So you don't want to miss this one. Um, we have several other things. We're going to have breakout sessions for survivors, for counselors, therapists, and for church leaders and pastors. Yep. Be sure to be there. Um, looking forward to seeing everybody. And we're going to need your input too, because there's no one size fits all on this. We're all learning together when it comes to some of the institutional responses. So looking forward to seeing everybody in April and being back with Call to Peace Ministries. Sounds good. We're looking forward to having you back. See ya.